Good morning out there in Facebook land. It is good to be with you. I'm so grateful for this means of technology that allows us to be gathered together in the spirit, even though we can't be in one another's physical presence. Welcome to all of you, whether you are a regular attender here at the Sunset Church of Christ or whether you're joining us from some location outside of Miami, we are grateful that you chose to make this a part of your morning and we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us um, in this way. And I pray that this time uh, this morning will be uplifting to you, will be an encouragement to you, and will help sustain you until we can gather together once again uh, or you can gather together with some congregation in your location, uh, wherever you may be. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Brian Bergman. I'm one of the deacons here at the Sunset Church of Christ. Uh, I have the opportunity to uh, to preach occasionally, and it so happens that today is, is my turn, so I'm glad to be with you uh, to bring a message for you. Um, in a few moments, we're going to be looking at a story from the 11th chapter of John. If you have your Bible, if you have one close by, go ahead and grab it, open up to it. We're not going to read the whole text, but we're going to talk about it. And so while you're turning there, um, I want to start this way. Just over two months ago, on a Sunday afternoon, News began to emerge that uh, NBA superstar Kobe Bryant had, had died in a helicopter crash. And as the news came out, we found out that his 13-year-old daughter was on the helicopter with him. Seven other individuals were on the helicopter with him. And that afternoon, the world quickly turned to a posture of grief. All over social media, people were talking about it. Uh, ESPN immediately shifted their programming to talk about the death of Kobe Bryant later that week. His memorial service from a, a large basketball arena was broadcast live. The arena was full. Thousands of people were watching uh, online. And it just—it was really amazing to me how much people felt connected to the death of this individual that many, many people had never met in person, had never had the chance uh, to, to meet in person. Just a month after that, as I was heading home from work one afternoon, I came upon the scene of a car accident. Um, it was obviously uh, a pretty bad accident from judging from the, the wreckage of the vehicle, the people that were around. I had come on it so quickly, there were not even emergency vehicles yet. And I turned around to go find a different way to get home. And later that afternoon, when I got home, I was looking to find out what had happened, what, what the story was. And I found that a 27-year-old woman named Elena Costa, a rollerblader, was going down a bike path. And a car speeding out of control, veered off the road, hit a tree, hit her, killing her instantly. The news covered it for a day or two. A few days later, when I was driving home from work, I saw a handful of people gathering at the spot for, for a small memorial, leaving some flowers and teddy bears and things, as people do. But the world did not really notice this woman's death. And I was the proximity of the two events together, Kobe Bryant's death versus this woman's death struck me. How the world felt connected to Kobe Bryant. But only a handful of people noticed this woman. The news only covered it for a few days, and soon elections and coronavirus and everything else pushed this woman's story off of the, the pages of the news. And I just was amazed by the contrast between the two. It's amazing to me that, that death happens around us all the time. It All around us, people die in tragic events, they die in routine ways, and the world just keeps moving. A year and a half ago, a little, a little over a year ago, my father-in-law passed away. And I had to take my boys to the mall to get some clothes for the funeral. And as we were walking through the mall, people were going about their business, eating in the restaurants, shopping. And I just wanted to stop in the middle of the mall and scream at the top of my lungs, ask people, how can you go about your normal life? 
don't you know what's happened? Don't you know how my family's world has been turned upside down? But of course, they didn't know. They hadn't seen. To them, it was just another person, another event, another thing in daily life. When we lose a close friend or a loved one, we want people to notice. We want that life to have significance. We want people to know the whole, the emptiness that has come into our own life. But for most of us, when our time comes, except for a small circle of family and friends, the world doesn't notice. In fact, the world does everything it can to hide from the fact of death. We have pills to prolong life. We have surgeries to make us look younger. We even have people that are trying to figure out how to take the memories from their mind and put it on a computer chip so that their consciousness can survive the death of their body. We do everything we can to avoid the fact of death, to avoid the reality that death exists all around us. And right now we're in a period in the church calendar where the church is going through the season called Lent. We haven't talked about it much in our fellowship, but the idea of Lent is that you stop and you think about death. You think about the reality of death. You think about the sinfulness that has placed us subject to death. And ultimately, when Easter comes, we're going to think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that takes away from us that fear of death. But during this period of Lent, we are supposed to be thinking about the reality that we are mortal, that our lives on this earth are not permanent. They are temporary. And for most people, most of the time, Lent is an intellectual exercise. But in these last couple of weeks, in these last couple of days, we have been forced to confront the reality of death. Just yesterday, I get notifications on my phone from different news sites. Just yesterday, I saw the death of a nurse at Jackson Hospital being reported by NBC. I saw the death of the first infant in the United States up in Illinois dying from this disease. We get daily updates as the numbers increase higher and higher, the number of people that are suffering from this, this virus, the number of people that are dying from this virus. We get news reports from places like Italy and Spain and New York and even our own community as the numbers just continually go up. And as we see these stories, as we see these numbers, we feel despair. We feel fear. We feel a loss of hope. And we as the church, we as Christians, we have an opportunity to step into this despair and this loss of hope and give the world something to live for, give the world a sense of hope. And that brings us this morning to our story in in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, it opens with this simple phrase, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So we start with a man who is sick. We we start with a man whose body is breaking down, who is battling death. And Jesus is in another place. And rather than immediately coming to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stays where he is for a couple of days. And after he chooses to come to where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are, Lazarus has already died. Jesus is too late. But he's going to perform a a, a tremendous miracle. He's going to bring this man, Lazarus, back to life. And the story is going to end there with new life, with new hope. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But I have a few observations, three things that Jesus faces in this story. The first thing that Jesus faces is grief. You know, growing up, our youth minister would come in the classroom and he would ask us to, to, to say a verse 
that we had memorized. And myself included, there were kids in the youth group, we thought we were cute. We would, we would recite Jesus wept, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible. We had memorized a Bible verse, right? Now, most of us, we couldn't tell you where in the Bible it was found. And we couldn't tell you the context of the story. But that short verse is here in this story. And it tells us so much about Jesus. When we Starting back at Christmas, leading up to Easter, we spent a lot of time talking about this word incarnation, the fact that God became man. And the importance of that is that God shared in what we experience as humans. Now, we usually think that in terms of what Jesus himself experienced. He experienced temptation. He experienced hunger. And he eventually himself experienced the pain of death. But what we see here in Jesus with Mary and Martha is that he experienced the grief of the loss of a dear friend. Jesus has stood in the cemetery. Jesus has stood there in front of the grave with fresh dirt on it. Jesus has stood shoulder to shoulder with the grieving widow, with the grieving sister, with the grieving father, with the grieving child. Jesus knows what it is to face the death of someone that he loves. And what's remarkable about this story is he's already told his disciples what the outcome is going to be. He knows that he is going to bring Lazarus back to life for the glory of God. And yet in the midst of this, Jesus takes the time to grieve with Mary and Martha. He doesn't tell them their faith should be stronger. He doesn't tell them not to grieve the loss of their brother because he's going to live again. He actually stops. He surveys the situation and he weeps. And the Bible tells us not once, but twice in this passage that Jesus is angry at the condition of death. He's angry at the sense of loss. He's angry at the cemetery. He's angry at the fact that we have to mourn. And Jesus, as God, becomes a man and walks through grief with us. The second thing that Jesus faces in this story is he faces questions. Mary and Martha sent for him. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal their brother. Jesus has been spending three years on this earth healing people with diseases and, and infirmities and weaknesses. And they're hoping Jesus will come do the same thing for their brother Lazarus. But he doesn't come. He doesn't arrive before Lazarus dies. And when he meets the sisters, each one of them asks the same question. They said, if you had been here, God, if you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. Now, there's kind of two ways to think about this question. On the one hand, there's a whole lot of what ifs. Right now, our world is saying, if only the government would do this. If only this country would have done that. If only the governor would do this. If only people would stay apart. If only people would stay home. If only, if only, if only we could stop death from happening. But the reality of death is there are not enough if onlys. We cannot completely avoid that. We cannot stop it from happening. But at a deeper level, there's a question of faith here. These two sisters, they look Jesus in the face and say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have lived. Have you ever prayed for something and God didn't do it the way you wanted to do it? Have you ever wondered why God didn't answer your prayer? Have you ever wondered why your husband, your child, your parent, your close friend had to die? Jesus has faced those questions face to face for Mary and Martha. Jesus chose not to act before Lazarus died. He showed his power after Lazarus died. And Jesus takes those questions. And again, he doesn't rebuke the sisters. 
He hears their cries of complaining. He hears their cries of grief. He hears their cries of sorrow. And he allows them to express themselves. The Psalms are filled with people crying out to God, wondering why God allows things to happen the way they do. Jesus has faced those questions and he can handle them. And we can ask him those questions now. Why, God? Why does this virus exist? Why are people dying? Why is it spreading so fast? He can handle those questions. He can handle our anger. He can handle our sorrow. He can handle our despair at the situation. He can take it all and he can heal it. Finally, the third thing that Jesus faces here is he faces death itself. When he shows up, he says to Mary and Martha, he says in verse 25 of John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, just before this, Jesus had said to the sisters, your brother will live. And Martha says, I know he will arise again at the last day. Martha's looking at the end. She's looking down the road. Jesus says it's not down the road. It's right here. The power of life, the power of resurrection is in your midst in this very moment. And I'm going to show you the power that I have. I'm going to show you the power that I have over death. And he's going to bring Lazarus back to life because I am the resurrection life. Not I will be the resurrection, not I will be the life. They are here with us right now. Jesus has already brought life and resurrection to this world. And that power is already present in our midst. And in just a few moments, we're going to share in communion together. And we're going to talk even more about that death, that resurrection, and the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus. So as you read the story from John chapter 11, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to wonder why the things are happening in this world. God can take those things. But we also need to remember to have faith. We need to have the faith that Jesus can and will bring life and resurrection to our bodies, to our present moments. In fact, I want to leave you with a prayer. A prayer prayed by Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church. From Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul's message is this. God has the power over death. That power is presently available in your life now. That power is present to help you live. That power is present to help you survive. That power is present to help you love. So I pray that as you go forward this week, in the midst of your disrupted life, love your neighbors, love your co-workers, love your families. The power of the Spirit is available to help you do that. And the power of the Spirit is available to give you hope. Blessings to you. Have a great day. We're going to sing another song. And then after that song, we're going to come back and share communion together. Thank you.